0: Dear Fathers, we come before you, we pray once again that you help us to understand your word and through understanding your word to help us to persevere till Jesus comes and to live as your people, uh, full of love for one another. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. How much uh, do you love me? All right. How deep is your love? Okay, I'm sure for some of the older members in the congregation, you you'll know these words from the from the very uh, infamous song from the Bee Gees, right? How Deep Is Your Love? Uh, it is the obsession of uh, movies like uh, Titanic, right? or Gone With the Wind, or The Notebook, or maybe only the women are familiar with those things. And it sort of fills rows and rows of bookshelves in the romance section. How deep is your love? How much do you love me? So I remember uh, when the kids were growing up, uh, their favorite book, or at least uh, we bought this book for my son Joshua, and it says, Guess how much I love you? Okay, so uh, if you read this book, actually I think if you go to the internet, this is like number one or number two most popular children's books or something, and it talks about how much you love your child, and sort of goes through, and then uh, by the very end, it's like, uh, I love you to the moon and back, okay? So I think that today's passage, if we look at it really closely, it deals with that question of love, isn't it? How much does Jesus love his disciples? Uh, if you look here at chapter 13 verse 1, it said it was just before the Passover festival and Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So last week we saw that the hour had come for Jesus to go to the cross to die. His body had been anointed with perfume by Mary. The Greeks had started to come into the kingdom and it was time for Jesus to go. But here, Jesus, in chapter 13, wants to teach the disciples and true, true the disciples to us how much He loves His disciples and how much He loves us. And Jesus here doesn't use some abstract, uh, I guess, picture of Jesus loving us to the moon and back, but He uses a very concrete, a real uh, action to show just how much He loves His disciples. Now here, it's very interesting, because if you look at uh, verse 1, it says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Okay, so if you look at your Bibles, that's kind of a, a strange thing to say. isn't it? What does it mean that I love you to the end? I can understand if you say, I love you to the moon and back, right? But what does it mean when it says, I love you to the end? I love you to the end of your life, uh, uh, to the end of my life, to the end of tomorrow, or next year, or to the end of your money? What does it mean? I love you to the end. Well, I think that it actually, within the context of uh, what happens next, it really means that Jesus loves him, uh, he loves, sorry, loves them to the end of his love, where to the utmost most of his love. Where you know, if you can think of a spectrum of love, where you love a little bit, and where you love more, and where there's overwhelming love, Jesus says that he's loving them to the end of love, to the utmost of his love, where there is no love left because he spent all his love on them. So how does it actually show out in what we read next that Jesus shows his love to the utmost or to the end of love? Well in verse 2 it says, the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas the son of Simon Iscariot to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power and that He had come from God and was returning to God. So He got up from the meal, took off His outer clothing and wrapped a towel around His waist. After that, He poured water into a basin and began to wash His disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around Him. Now if you look up here on this slide. Uh, there are three statements which were made in all those verses, and when you really understand and get into what those verses are saying, they are deeply, deeply contradictory, isn't it? In verse 2, we read that Judas was going to betray Jesus because Satan had already prompted him. In verse 3, Jesus had the power of God. He was from God. He was returning to God. He was God's Son in every way. And yet in verse four and five, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. Now from a human perspective, this is truly a paradox. This is really weird, isn't it? It's really boggling the mind as a display of love. You see, if you think of just, of just verse three and four, the next slide, if you just compare those two statements, That Jesus was God, He had the power of God, He was returning to God, but yet He washed His disciples' feet. Now that's a really, really amazing thing. You see, in those days it was very common practice to wash feet, uh, because in those days they didn't wear Nikes or shoes or things like that, they wore sandals, right? And the roads of those days were not like our roads which were paved, but they were made of, you know, just dust, it became muddy when it rained it was very dusty when it was dry and it was shared by animals who you know when animals they don't usually go to the toilet when they you know when there's a toilet stop they just go to the toilet wherever they are that you know they feel like it so the, the 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 road would be full of dust and mud and dung and when you went to someone's house uh usually if you went over for a meal uh, you wouldn't sit down at a table right where your feet are sort of under the table but you would you would sort of be like this right You sort of in the ancient world, or maybe the next slide is clearer, you'd you'd recline to eat, right? They didn't really have chairs in those days. So obviously your feet got a lot closer to each other and to the food than we do today. So it was very important for you, in terms of decorum, if you ever wanted to be invited back to to, to wash your feet uh, when you went to someone's house for a meal, right? Because you know, your dust-covered, muddy, dung-smelly feet would be close to your neighbor right here and next to the food. And usually when you went to your neighbor's house to eat, you'd wash your own feet. You know, it's a DIY thing, right? Self-service. You wouldn't have someone else wash your feet for you. The last thing you'd do is expect your host to wash your feet as you walked in. In fact, in those days, uh, the Jews, according to Jewish writings, Jews were not allowed to ask other Jews, even if they were slaves, to wash their feet. And in fact, it was also seen as very inappropriate and demeaning to even ask Gentile slaves to wash your feet. I think that in, even in our day, uh, I, I don't think there's any government rules about it, but you don't ask your domestic servant to wash your feet, right? Anybody here? Ask your domestic servant to wash your feet. No, right? Why don't you do that? I mean, it's not as if the government got you to sign something saying that, you know, when you employ a maid, you can't get them to wash your feet. But it's just, I guess, to us, it just seems like a very demeaning, very sort of uh, inappropriate thing to ask someone to do. So in those days, slaves did not wash their master's feet. Uh, it would be inappropriate for Jesus to ask his disciples to wash his feet. The students would not wash each other's feet. The disciples would not wash each other's feet. But yet, here we see that Jesus, as God, having power over all things, from God and returning to God, washed his disciples' feet. Now, isn't that just amazing? I mean, there's no other words for it, right? It just blows the mind that God, God's Son would do this. You remember John chapter 1, who Jesus really was. John the Baptist said that he baptized the water, but among you stands one you do not know, He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. John the Baptist was the greatest prophet of his time. In fact, Jesus said until, you know, the time when he came, John the Baptist was one of the greatest prophets ever. But yet, as great as John the Baptist was, he didn't see himself worthy to untie the shoelaces, or the, sand, the 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 laces of Jesus' thongs, but yet Jesus, as great as he was, washed his own disciples' feet. And what's really amazing, if if you look at your Bible, in verse three, right, and verse four, there is a connecting word there. Uh, if you see there, it says Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God and it says there in verse 4 this really interesting word it says so so he got up from the meal and took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist and after that began to wash his disciples' feet i don't know about you but i i got my highlighter and i highlighted it in bold yellow this word in verse 4 the word so right because if you and i were writing the gospel of john we wouldn't write the word so we would write the word yet or or in spite of this or, you know, unbelievably or shockingly, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. But if you look at your Bible closely, that word there is so, or it's translated yet or something like that, right? And I think the reason is because Jesus wanted to show his disciples how much his love for them was. That he was so great and powerful, so... He washed their feet. But what is even more amazing is the next part, right? The the contradiction between verse 2 and verse 4 and 5. Because in verse 2, we read that the devil had already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. Now, we don't need to know this. Uh, We're going to see it later. It's not part of this immediate part of the conversation. It's only later that Jesus betrays Jesus. Why, did, why are we told this here? I think we're told this here because as Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he would also wash Judas' feet. Right? Out of the 22 feet, 20, no, not 22, 24 feet, right, that he washed, two of them would have been Judas' feet. But yet, Jesus knew that Judas was of Satan. Judas was going to betray him to a terrible, painful death. Now what would you do if you were Jesus? Would you wash Judas's feet? Would you f- wash the feet of someone who was lower than you? Maybe. Maybe you would wash your friend's feet, perhaps. But would you wash the feet of your enemy? Uh, maybe you would wash it with a scouring pad and boiling water, lah right. But Jesus washed Judas' feet lovingly, humbly, in service. See what Jesus did was totally counter cultural and beyond all expectations, right? It was totally radical. Imagine uh, you invite the most powerful person that you know to your house. Okay, maybe the CEO of your company or the principal of your school or you know, somebody. Could you imagine that person uh, coming to your house, taking off your shoes and your socks and washing your feet? Clearly not, right? I've never heard of that happening ever before. But here, verse 3 tells us that Jesus was not the CEO or the principal of your school, but He was God in every way. And yet, He washed His disciples' feet. Now, in verse 6, the story goes on and uh, it tells us that Jesus came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Uh, Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Now, i think that uh what peter understood here as uh what jesus was doing was merely washing uh feet right um as in you know, washing dirt from between the toes but this was the first mistake of peter right because peter understood it purely in terms of a a physical Washing, which really is just an act of of, of love. You know, just an act in itself. But Jesus actually says something uh, quite deep, isn't it? In verse 7, he says, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. And this links back with verse 1, isn't it? Where it says, It was only because Jesus knew that the hour has come, that he was going to go back to the Father, that he showed them his love. So to understand the foot washing, you really need to look backwards from the cross. Because the foot washing is actually to understand and to unpack what Jesus was actually going to do at the cross. You see, at the cross, if you look here on the screen, Jesus, with the same motivation of love and humility and service, went to wash people clean. So that's why Jesus says there, right? Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Right. So what he's really saying here is that he's giving uh, the disciples a theological visual picture of what is going to happen at the cross. That at the cross there will be a washing, a much more effective and once and for all universal washing for them that the foot washing was actually pointing to. But Peter understood it as merely uh, something in which you wash uh, your feet, but, but that's about it. But Jesus understood it in terms of understanding the cross, uh, that looked forward to the cleansing of the cross that would actually be affected there. So again, coming back to John chapter 1, right? It says, the next day, uh, John the Baptist said, John saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's why I think Jesus says that really, like quite paradoxical statement, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. You see, the foot washing itself was not effective in itself, but it it was a sign in which you were saying that you're willing for Jesus at the cross to wash the person clean. See, you have to ask yourself, why are we here at church today? Why do we come? Why did you come today? Why did you wake up early when you could have slept in? Why, why are you here today? Is it just out of habit? No, I think we are here today because we recognize that we are all a needy people and we all need to be clean through the washing of Jesus. Right? You see, as we've been going through the book of John, Jesus is not looking for self-sufficient. Uh, people, he's looking for people who are needy, people who are hungry for the bread of life, who are blind and they need the light of the world, they are thirsty, they need the living water and who are sinners, who need to be washed clean. I remember John Piper said the gospel of Jesus is not a help-wanted advertisement. The gospel of Jesus is a help-available advertisement. So I think what Jesus was saying to Simon Peter was, Unless you see yourself as needy and wanting and needing a wash, and unless you allow Jesus to wash you, you will not be part of Jesus, you will not be clean. So by submitting himself to the foot washing, Peter was actually looking forward to the cleansing that he would receive at the cross. But the the second mistake that Peter makes is that he begins to see the foot washing as effective in itself. Because then in verse 9, Peter says, But Lord, then not just wash my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, Not every one of you is clean. Now, again, if you don't really read and reflect and meditate on this passage, you, you begin to become very confused, right? Because why does, uh, why does Jesus now say to Peter, oh, I only need to wash your feet, but you're already clean? Well, because to a certain degree, Peter had begun to mistake the symbol for the reality. See, the foot washing itself was only something which looked forward to the cross and, and explained and sort of pointed to the cross and unpacked the meaning of the cross. But there was no power in the foot washing itself. And that's why Peter, when he said, oh don't just wash my feet, but wash my hands and my head and my whole body, he mistook the symbol for the reality. Because Peter didn't realize that when Jesus died for him at the cross, he would be clean once and for all, together with all the other disciples. All except Judas, isn't it? You see, if the foot washing itself was effective in and of itself, then Judas should have been clean too. But Judas was not clean even though his feet had been washed. Because when Jesus died on the cross for the once and for all washing, Judas had betrayed Jesus. He had no part in the reality, even though he shared in the symbol. So I think that what's really important for us to see is the reality of what we need is the once and for all washing that Jesus gives on the cross. We are clean once and for all, we don't need the symbol to make us clean. So I remember a relative of mine uh, would every week uh, go to church and, uh, and participate and, and, and take uh, the mass. And uh, to the extent that she would always almost go to a service which wasn't even in her native language. And I think when we spoke to her, we were very worried for her because she she was almost like going to church as a superstition. She felt that once I go to church, I'm clean for that week. And uh, I need to go again the next week in order to be clean for another week. And then so it went on and on and on. But Jesus says that the symbol does not make you clean. It is faith and and, and abiding in Jesus at the cross that makes you clean once and for all, not the repeated going to receive a symbol. So, in a sense, uh, if you wanted to push it to an extreme, if for the rest of your life you never took communion again, would you be saved? Would you go to heaven? Yes. If you never took the Lord's Supper for the rest of your life again, for whatever reason, maybe, you know, uh i don 't know what what will happen. We stranded some remote island or, or you you know you're in jail or something. You would still be saved because Jesus Christ died for you, and your faith is in Jesus, and you are following Jesus and you're abiding in him. The symbol itself is not effective, and that's why Judas was not clean. Now Jesus goes on and he talks and applies the uh, foot washing to the disciples directly, right. So he says, when he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master. Nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Now what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is basically saying that his foot washing was to be an example for them. But it was to be an example in terms of the principles that he applied. In terms of selflessness, humility, love and service. See, what drove Jesus to the cross? Remember again, the foot washing was looking forward to the cross. Why did Jesus go to the cross? It wasn't just because he was obedient to the Father, but because of his love for us. That's why it says there in verse 1, isn't it? Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, to his utmost. His love was what brought Jesus to the cross. His humble sacrifice and service to us was what brought Jesus to the cross. You see, if it was unheard of that God should wash the feet of His disciples. Then how more that God should die on the cross for His disciples? Now, when Jesus says that we should follow His example, it doesn't mean that you know every month uh, in conjunction with our Holy Communion, we, we, we should all bring out our buckets and start washing each other's feet, right? I don't think that's what Jesus means. We're not supposed to follow the example in a literal way, but we are to follow His example in selfless service. Uh, because in the same way, I mean, I, I could I could come out here and I could wash someone's feet, but in my heart, I, I may not have the attitude of wanting to love. I may not have the attitude of humility. I may not have the attitude of sacrificial love. But what Jesus gave this example was to show His disciples that as Christians, as His people, people who belong to Him, we are to live differently from the world. The world says every man or every woman for himself. But Jesus says that as His disciples, it is every person, every man or woman, for his brother and sister. The world says self-service, right? I serve myself. But Jesus says it is other person service. See, what is the aim when we come to church on a Sunday or we're at home or in our Bible study groups? It's not to serve ourselves, but it's to serve each other. In fact, Jesus makes it very clear, isn't it? We are not greater than him. The servant is not greater than the master and the messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. We must do what Jesus did with the same attitude of humility of love and of sacrifice. We must love each other the way that Jesus loved us. Now the church is not supposed to be a NATO, right? You know what NATO means, right? Uh, no action, talk only, right? Okay, so the church is not supposed to be NATO, but we are to put it into practice. What does it mean uh, to wash each other's feet in this way? What does it mean to, to have true, humble love for one another? I remember when I went to theological college, and, and I believe that this happens in other theological colleges too. They always uh, roster all the, the college people to, uh, to do like a very menial task, uh, like a kitchen duty. You know, you have to wash the floors, mop the tables and the floors and everything. And uh, the reason why they do that is because they want to see your attitude to, to this humble service to each other. Uh, because the ones who only want the high-powered positions, the glamorous positions, are not the ones suitable to serve in the way that Christ served. What, we, what, what, what they were looking for were people with servant hearts, humble service. You know, I guess it says something where, in many organizations, I remember a reading of this, it uh, just just occurred to me about this, William Booth, when he, I think the Salvation Army, uh, apparently, a very, very uh, famous uh, preacher from America came to to serve, and for two weeks he made him clean the boots of all the uh, the other people in the, I guess, in the Salvation Army, because he wanted to see if he was willing to serve humbly, or whether he just wanted to have the top positions. And I think that that's the same for us, isn't it? When we are serving, do we serve because we just want those high positions, or are we willing to serve each other humbly, sacrificially? And I think that in the world that we live in especially, the rich do not serve the poor, isn't it? The the, the ones who are powerful find it very hard to humble themselves to serve those who are lower. So I think that in the same way, we must be very careful that in the church we do not bring the attitudes of the world into the church because in the church we are meant to all serve one another with humility and service. I remember talking to someone once before when they were retired and I said, oh, why don't you uh, do this, do some community work? And they said, oh, I only get paid for work. I don't work for, you know, for things that I, I don't get paid for. And I was thinking that's so different from the Christian attitude of service, isn't it? I remember this very powerful uh, Christian man who in the secular world was uh, a very senior executive. And when he retired, uh, he told me that one day a week, uh, he went to read letters to people who were blind. Uh, I know of another man who uh, was a venture capitalist, who's also a Christian, who spends one day a week going to prison, uh, trying to uh, reach out to people in the prison. And I really think that uh, those people in a way embody what it means to be very powerful, but yet in humility are willing to serve those who are much lower than them in terms of social status in the world. But what about us as a church? I think that I realized when I was uh, in, in, in my previous church as well, that many people are very happy to, to give money, but they may not be very happy to actually want to, to serve. Uh, when we go down to Batam, one of the things that we we are trying to do now is instead of having the, the the little girls and boys serve us as if we are like the you know the people who should be served, we we try to serve them as an example of how even though we are older, even though we're you know I guess from a richer country, we we are here as Christians together with them, and we are willing to serve them. And I think that that's something that embodies what Jesus is talking about here. I think that. Uh, the hardest thing for us is uh, to give ourselves a relationally. I think relationships are hard, isn't it? We are happy to maybe come once a week to do something, uh, once a month to do something, maybe to give money. But relationally, I think that's where we really have to sacrifice. To be willing to give ourselves in relationship is difficult because we don't know how much time it will take, how much effort it will take, and how long it will take. Uh, it's not like a project, right? You know, I can be friends with you for six months and that's it, right? But then when, when people have lost their jobs or are sick, when they fail to come to church or Bible study, do we sacrificially give up our time to give them a call to visit them or to see how they're going? Uh, when people have babies Or, you know, uh, when they're struggling at home with many newborns, do we actually spend our time helping them to to visit them or to just see how they're going to encourage them? See, I think that it's so easy, I think, for us to serve structurally and just say, okay, you know, I'll do these things during, uh, you know, tick the box and I'll do this at church once in a while. But what about relationally? Because at the end, that's what matters, isn't it? So I just want to conclude and share Uh, quite a sad story from, uh, again, uh, my theological college. I remember in my first year of theological college, there was a young single man, a young man. And he was a really bright fellow. He came from the finance industry, and he came to theological college, but unfortunately he was struggling a bit with his studies. And maybe he was a bit lonely, because, you know, he was single and younger than all of us. So I remember that uh, by the end of third term, one day, we realized that he had stopped coming to class and he wasn't there. And then uh, after a few days, we went to check out on him and we realized that he had actually uh, just left theological college and gone back to work. And we we had never heard from him. And I think it it really struck us how uh, we had been so uh, taken up by our studies and all the things that we had to do, that we had never really uh, served him. Uh, sacrificially by checking out him and helping him, and at, 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 you know, by the time we realized that he was struggling and he had left, it was too late. And I think that, in a way, uh, that was a reminder to me when I was looking at this passage, because so often, in the busyness of life, we we don't actually have time to bother, I guess, in a sense, to wash each other's feet sacrificially, lovingly. Uh, and uh, we only want to serve each other at our own time, at our own place, and at our own convenience. But here was a, a man, a young man, who, who really needed our help, and we were all theological, I mean, we are all in theological training, we all want to do full-time ministry, but yet we had failed this person, right? And I was thinking, it's so easy for us to do as Christians, uh, to, I guess, live like the world, to serve self and not others, to to put our our own things ahead of other people and not be willing to humble ourselves to um, to sacrificially love other people. So I guess the question I want to end with, which is the question that Jesus challenged uh, his disciples was, uh, whose feet uh, are you washing? I mean metaphorically, right? Whose feet are you washing? Uh, who are you serving in, 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 in a very real way? right?" And how are you serving? Are you only serving in the ways that uh, are high and you know in the ways that are convenient to you? Or are you serving in a humble, sacrificial way to really meet the needs of someone at church? I think it would be helpful for you, perhaps, if you just spend some time thinking about it. And maybe even the outline that you have, just write down one person's name of someone who you think has a real need, who you can serve, uh, whose feet you should wash, And then maybe you can pray about it uh, later, sometime after the service, about how you can actually help to serve and love that person. Because if Jesus, who was God Himself, could serve us in this way, then how much more we, who have received this love from Jesus, uh, should follow the example of our Lord and Savior uh, to serve and love each other in this way. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, truly we, we, we cannot understand uh, your love. We cannot understand the love of your Son, Jesus. It is just beyond our world of experience, our understanding, uh, that such a powerful person, God Himself, should, in love, humble Himself, to wash his disciples' feet. That one who is so mighty and awesome and sovereign should actually humble himself in love in this way. Dear Father, we thank you for how it reflects and unpacks the love that Jesus had that brought him to the cross for us. We thank you for how it reflects uh, the true washing of the cross. And dear Father, we pray for ourselves Uh, that we would have that same love uh, for one another here at church. That we would heed the instructions, the clear instructions of Jesus that no student is greater than his master. And that we should in every way embody that love for one another. Dear Father, we know that if we even have a fraction of the love that Jesus showed us, that we would be a, a radically different community And we just pray that each and every one of us would uh, listen and heed the example of Jesus to uh, really take time out for one another uh, so as to serve each other in, in real ways and not just ways which are convenient to us. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.